This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hi there, glad you're with us for Calvary Online. I'm John. Well, my kids went back to school this week. The days are getting noticeably shorter and football is back on television, which means fall is here. And this time of year at Calvary, we like to remind ourselves of what we're committed to, of what we have been called by God to do as a church, our mission. At Calvary, we're building Christ-centered communities of people who are fully devoted to loving God and loving others. And we've been so encouraged to see an increasing number of Christ-centered communities grow in our church throughout the last few years. Whether those are at our physical campuses in Boulder, Erie, Thornton, Colorado, or even through Calvary Online. We've heard from so many of you who are a part of Christ-centered communities, even throughout the greater Denver metro area. Maybe you're gathering to join us today with your home group. Maybe you're with your family. Maybe you're home alone by yourself. In whatever capacity you find yourself and wherever you are, our prayer is that Calvary Online would help you be part of a Christ-centered community. Now, those Christ-centered communities are defined by two things. They are defined by a love for God and a love for others. Two loves. So in the time we have together today, we're going to open our Bibles to a text which describes the kind of person whose life is shaped by a love for God and a love for others. Open your Bible with me to the very first psalm. The Psalms are a songbook which have been used by the people of God to praise God for thousands of years. And Psalm 1 is a picture of the type of person who is defined by a love for God and a love for others. You can find the Psalms in the Old Testament section of your Bible, and we'll begin in the very first verse. It says, Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 compares two ways of living, two lives that are shaped by two different types of love. One way is defined by a love for God and his word. The other way is defined by what I would describe as a love for the world. Two ways of living defined by two loves. We don't like two options. Our culture is more comfortable living in shades of gray. There's all sorts of different ways you could live. We, when we hear black and white language like we find in Psalm 1, it makes us uncomfortable. But Psalm 1 isn't the only place in the Bible that there's a stark contrast between two different types of living. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow 
and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus knew, and so do we, how easy it is to get caught up in a crowd, in a crowd that loves the way of the world. It's so easy to fall in love with that way, so easy to get caught up in it. But we want to be a people who are defined by a love for God and His Word. That's so important because our lives are shaped by what we love. Think about how we organize and orient our life based on what we love the most or things that are so important to us. Many of us live in the state of Colorado because we love living here. There's so many things that we delight in, that we enjoy, that are fun, that make it lovely to live here. And so we've organized our life and found jobs here in Colorado. And we've found a house that's here in this state. And we've organized our life around it. Our life has been shaped by a love for where we live. Perhaps you don't love exactly where you live right now. So you're reorganizing your life so that you might be able to move to a place that you love. You're saving money for a house or you're saving some money for a down payment uh, that you could use for the first month's rent. Or you're trying to find a job in a different location so you could live to near a place where you love. For those of us who have children, we totally shape our lives based on our love for them, based on their activity schedule, based on school, based on our desire to spend time with them because of our love for them. But how much more important is our ultimate love? If our lives are shaped by what we love, then, then the most important way that our life would be shaped would be by our love for God and all that is revealed about him in his word. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 1 that the man or woman who loves God and his word is blessed. But look at how it describes the person whose ultimate love is for the way of the world. It says in verse 1, Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Those three words, wicked, sinners, scoffers, aren't popular ones. They aren't words we like to use to describe other people, and certainly not ourselves. A few weeks ago, we were in Colossians chapter 1, and we looked at the language that the Apostle Paul used to describe a group of people who, prior to knowing God, were alienated and hostile in mind. If you'd like to learn more about what it means to be in that category of living, you might check out that sermon from just a few weeks ago. But this language in Psalm 1 of wicked, sinful scoffers makes us think of harsh language. That's not how we like to describe other people and certainly not ourselves. One of the problems we have is that we tend to compare ourselves to others when we think about spiritual things. When we think about religion, perhaps we think, well, we're better than that other person, or we're not as wicked as other people that we know about in the world or that we hear about on the news, and at least I'm better than they are. But when we compare ourselves to God, who the Bible describes as holy and righteous and perfect, then we understand why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, verse 23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has given us the gift of his son, and we can find everlasting life, and we can find a remedy to the reality that we are born wicked and sinful, and that we scoff at God if we place our hope and our trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Notice, though, back in Psalm 1, the postures of learning that define a love for the world that we see in verse 1. 
It says that we should not walk in the counsel of the wicked. We should not stand in the way of sinners, and we should not sit in the seat of scoffers. When you think about those different postures of learning and conversations that you might have with people, there's sort of a progression there. When you walk alongside a group of people, it's relatively easy for you to dismiss yourself from that conversation. If you go on a walk with someone to ask for their advice and you don't appreciate the advice that they're giving, you might just be able to say, you know what, I've got to head home now. And you can easily um, exit from that conversation. But it's a little more difficult when you stand with a group of people and you're having a conversation. Perhaps you're learning from them. Perhaps there's a crowd and you're standing with them. It's a little more awkward to excuse yourself. And even more so if you're sitting which is like the defining posture of someone who is learning, who is listening to the words of a person and trying to emulate them, trying to learn, trying to grow based on their teaching. And I think as we see the psalmist warn us not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, we are reminded of how deeply influential the way of the world can be in our life and that we are called to not be the people who love the way of the world, but instead who love the word of God. Walking, standing, sitting. All of these are visible actions that are perceived by people. But compare these actions of those who love the world to what the psalmist says in verse 2. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delighting is inward. It's a heart issue. Instead of an action, it's an attitude. And it's only visible by the Lord. That's what the Lord cares about ultimately is our heart, not our actions, not our outward appearance. Perhaps you're familiar with the story of when Samuel went to visit the family of Jesse. Jesse was the father of the great King David, uh, the king of Israel. And the Lord had told Samuel that amongst the sons of Jesse, he had his chosen his Lord's anointed, who would be the king over Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse and tells him this, and he brings forth his most impressive son, the oldest one, Eliab. And Samuel sees him and sees this strong, capable leader and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He's the oldest. He's the strongest. He's the best looking. And as Samuel looks on the outward appearance of Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, the Lord speaks to Samuel and says this in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 7. Do not look on his appearance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We look outward. We love action. But the Lord looks inward. He sees attitudes. Now, the Christian life is not only about an inward attitude. It's also about an a life of action, not so that we would impress others, not so that we would impress God, but so that we would grow in the likeness of Jesus. It goes on in verse two to say, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. This is one of our actions and it's an internal one that we would meditate on God's word day and night, the Psalm says. Notice that delight is in our heart. And meditation is something that happens in our mind. Meditation is the practice of thinking, speaking, hearing, meditating on the word of God. 
If that might be a new practice for you, here's what I would suggest. You could think about your favorite Bible verse. Or if you're not familiar with any verses in the Bible, perhaps you could think about a verse that's meaningful from you here in Psalm 1. You could even sort of collapse Psalm 1 and think about how it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. You could think about that today. You could think about it tonight. You could think about it throughout the day. What, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, you might just keep that in your mind and think about it and ask the Lord to teach you something about it, to help you understand what it means to live a blessed life, not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. Ask the Lord to help you understand how you can more deeply delight in God's word. And the more we meditate on God's word, the more we find that we delight in it. There's an interesting connection between our minds and our hearts. The more we think about something, the more we meditate about something, the more we can delight in it. We all know this because our, what we think about influences our life. And so we want to be cautious about what we're filling it with. And we want to be the kind of people who are meditating on the law of God day and night. Because our actions affect our affections. What we do helps us to be more affectionate towards things. When, when we act in a way that is loving towards another person, our love for them often grows. And so if we want to delight in God's law, we need to work on it. If you struggle with delighting in God's law, even if, if you've loved God for a long time and you just struggle to, to regularly read God's word or you find it boring or you're not sure how to navigate it, I have a resource that I'd love to share with you that I hope would be helpful. It describes three enemies of delight and the ways that we can resist them. I hope it'll be practical. I hope it'll help help you. And if you would like a copy of it, you can let us know. You can click on this link or follow it, and we'll be sure to send it to you free of charge so that you can grow in your delight of God's law. Now, Psalm 1 uses a common form of Hebrew poetry that's known as parallelism, where two things are contrasted. In this case, what we're seeing, the contrast of the way of the world or the way of the person who loves the word of God. Notice how verses 1 and 2 use this concept of parallelism as they are compared and contrasted to verses 5 and 6. Verses 1 and 2 describe walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And verses 5 and 6 say this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you hear the similarities there? There are all of these things that are so attractive about the world, and yet the psalmist says at the end of the day, the way of the wicked will perish. The ones whose ultimate love is for the world will come to an end. And so when it all comes down to it, those who love the world don't have standing. Why is that? It's because they ultimately love, lack a foundation. Because of what they have built their life on, it, it comes to an end. Verses 3 and 4 illustrate more deeply for us the difference in these two types of lives, the outcome of what happens when we love God and his word or love the way of the world. And look at verse 4. How does it describe the way of loving the world? It says, the wicked are not so. They don't have the blessing, the life of blessing that those who love God's word do. But instead, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. In the ancient world, when grain was collected to make bread and, and wheat was gathered, it was taken to what was called the threshing floor. 
And as a part of the husk of grain, there was chaff, which was sort of lifeless and didn't provide any nutrient value. And, and on the threshing floor, the grain and the chaff would lay there and people would gently um, sort of blow fans and the grain would be thrown up in the air and that light and gentle breeze would blow away the chaff, which was root, rootless and had no life in it. And it would just be driven away and that healthy grain would fall back to the threshing floor. This chaff was unable to even stand a light breeze. And that's how the psalmist describes those who ultimately love the world more than they love the word of God. But compare that to, to the one who loves the law of God, whose life has been shaped by it. What is she like? It says in verse 3, she's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all they do, they prosper. Those who love the word of God are fed by it, sustained by it. They have built their life on a foundation that doesn't crumble, and they're deeply rooted. They are deeply rooted trees, not tossed to and fro by the winds. They're able to withstand the storms of life. And it's not because of anything that they've done, but because of their proximity to the life source. This summer, my family and I took a road trip, and we were driving through Wyoming. Many parts of Wyoming are beautiful and lush, but other parts of it are very arid, like a high desert. And we were driving through some of those sections of Wyoming, and suddenly you would come upon beautiful trees out in the middle of nowhere. And you realize the reason why they were there is because there was a stream close in proximity to those trees that were feeding and sustaining those trees. They couldn't survive elsewhere. But when they were near this life source, they could live and thrive and flourish now, we said earlier that Psalm 1 describes for us the kind of person whose life is shaped by a love for God and a love for others. We've seen how the psalm describes a love for God, but where do we see a love for others? Think about a tree for a moment. It says here that, that this tree yields its fruit in its season. You know, a tree bears fruit not for itself, but for the blessing and benefit of others. The nutrients that come from that tree fall to the earth and people are drawn to it, drawn even closer to that life source that feeds the tree and they ultimate eat, ultimately eat off that nourishment and they enjoy the beautiful fruit that is born by that tree. That is a, the biblical picture of a love for others. Think about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, that we're called to be a people who are defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit, that as we love others, they enjoy the nourishment that comes from our love for God and, in turn, our love for them. And we pray by loving others that they would be drawn to that life source that feeds us. And they would ultimately find life in the unquenchable life source of Jesus Christ. I hope as we journey into the fall that you will have a picture of your life as one that is shaped by a love for God and a love for others. A love for God first and his word that nourishes you and sustains you and helps you to withstand the storms of life. And secondly, a love for others that is the outgrowth of that beautiful experience of having close proximity to Jesus. Our prayer is that through the ministry of Calvary Online this fall, that we will draw people from all over the place closer and closer to Jesus to find eternal life in him. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for revealing the truth about who you are and who we are, the truth about your son Jesus and why he's come to the earth to save us. I pray for my friends who are gathering here today. I pray that they would delight in God's law. If they're far from you, Lord, I pray that you would bring them back. I pray for any of us who might need to confess that we haven't quite delighted in God's law recently, that you would help restore us, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who are shaped by a love for you and a love for your word. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So glad you were with us for Calvary Online today. If we can help you, if we can pray with you, we'd love to be able to do that. You can let us know that by communicating with us on our online connect card. And if you'd love that resource about three enemies of of delight and how you can resist those enemies, we'd love to be able to send that to you. You can click on the link and we'll be sure to send it to you. Until next time, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.